Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Lifegasm, book one, Marshall's Promise. As you've probably gathered by now, I am releasing this book in podcast form. So if you are just joining us, please, please, please start at the beginning and listen through chronologically. I mean, if you lose interest and don't feel like listening anymore, that's fine. (laughs) Feel free to not listen. But if you're just jumping in, the story is probably not going to make a lot of sense. Anyway, thanks for being here. And uh, let's get this party started. Lifegasm, book one, Marshall's Promise, chapter six, Broken Promises. So convenient a thing to be a reasonable creature, since it enables one to find or make a reason for everything one has a mind to do. Benjamin Franklin I woke up early to the sounds of my one-night roommate packing up his things. Sorry to wake you up, he said on his way out the door, but do you want us to leave you our breakfast tokens? We've got to hit the road and we won't have time to eat. Checkout is at 11, though, so, you know, can you make sure to be out by then? not trying to kick you out or anything. My last meal had been a bag of popcorn at the Mormon Theater, and I thankfully accepted his continued generosity. I know how hotel checkouts work, I said. You're not being pushy. Thank you again so much for letting me stay. You guys were like angels in the flesh. I don't know if I'd go that far, he responded, but it didn't matter if he saw himself that way. He'd been a verifiable angel to me. Good luck with your spiritual road trip, he added before bustling out to the hallway to meet his friend and drive away. I got up shortly thereafter and showered. If you, dear reader or listener, ever find yourself taking a shower where hot, clean water is cascading over your naked body and you forget to acknowledge the marvel that is being bestowed upon you, well, I recommend you rectify your oversight immediately. Hot water is a legitimate miracle. Just ask anyone living on Mars. You can't make this shit up, I said to myself. Well, I can, said my deepest heart. As I got dressed, I felt my body become one glorious wavelength in the infinite part harmony of all molecules in the multiverse. Truly, it was visceral. I was becoming a living example of contentment existing here, now, where nothing, not a single thing, needed to be different. If your human rights aren't being violated, dear reader or listener, you can try this right now, too. I was exactly where I was supposed to be, not only because my deepest heart had guided me there, but also because that's where I was. You follow? My Park Service friend's parting gift was further confirmation that I didn't have to choose between following my deepest heart or getting my basic needs met. After I got dressed, I packed up my small suitcase and headed to the hotel restaurant. It's challenging to explain my level of hunger because I was many steps away from starving to death. But there's a wide swath of human experience that lands somewhere between feeling fully satiated and dying of starvation. And while I was never worried that I wouldn't have enough, and I'm certainly not complaining, I was more grateful for the miracle of food than I ever had been. I loaded up my plate with cheesy eggs, hash browns, and grilled asparagus, of all things, then found a table outside on the veranda. 
I even took a picture of myself and my full plate, lest I someday come to suppose that manifestation was make-believe and that this moment was a figment of my imagination. Then I tucked my phone away so I could put my full attention on the textures and flavors of the food. Mmm, breakfast-gasm. When my body gave me the signal that it had had enough, I loaded up Peaches the Prius, newly minted, queued up Peaches the Artist, and readied myself for another seven-hour day in the car. Then my phone rang. It was William. So I'm really sorry to be the bearer of this news, he started sheepishly. "Uh Uh-oh, that's never a good start. My parents want you out of their house by the end of the month, he said. Wait, what? Was he shitting me? The end of the month was less than two weeks away. I wouldn't even be back from my spiritual road trip by then. Even slumlords gave their tenants more time to pack up and move out. Plus, hadn't they said I could stay in their empty house as long as I needed? Hadn't they willingly agreed to that arrangement? What the fuck was going on? I don't understand, I said. I thought they agreed to this with eyes wide open. What happened? I think they just don't want you to move in indefinitely, William continued. And, you know, they're afraid a few months will turn into a year and then a few years down the road you're still there. Oh, boy. Apparently, my in-laws, or ex-in-laws, hadn't learned the trick where you don't solve problems that aren't problems. I was reminded of Kate, my professionally anxious favorite lawyer friend, who taught me how she asks herself three fundamental questions before losing her shit. One, what's the worst that could happen? Two, how bad is that really? And three, how likely is it to happen that way? Did Nanny and Grandad really think that the likelihood of me becoming a hostile squatter was high enough to warrant immediate eviction? It hurt my feelings that they saw me in such an unflattering light, and I assured William that if they wanted a number that wasn't forever, maybe they could extend their original offer for a few more months even. They're adamant about the end of the month, he said. But why so soon, I asked. I mean, it's not like they've asked me to leave and I've refused. This is the first time they've said anything and they aren't even giving me two weeks. They said they want to put it on the market, he explained, and they prefer it be unoccupied for showings. But also, he hesitated, I guess their lawyer said it was better to not be in any sort of business relationship with you. Aha, here was the real meat of the matter. William's parents had always treated me with affection. The fact that I had suddenly transformed into a troublesome tenant and not the mother of their grandchildren seemed a harsh and uncharacteristic shift. But I could understand the shift better when I knew they'd spoken with a lawyer. America's de facto history is an uninterrupted parade of the betrayal of promises as the indigenous tribes, enslaved Africans, and any other marginalized, oppressed, or impoverished peoples will confirm. It makes sense that Americans, and perhaps most humans in the modern world, value the written contract over the verbal agreement. But it was still bizarre to me that 15 years of familial love seemed to be wiped out completely after one phone call to a man in a suit. 
Look, I know this blows, William offered through my silence. But for what it's worth, I can help you move your stuff out of the Oak Street place and keep it in the basement here. Then you wouldn't have to rush back to move your things out. I I know you only just moved in. That would be great, I said, even as I heard the inner cry of an old voice telling William to fuck off and that I didn't need his charity. But William, I said, this eviction pretty much changes everything. I mean, I'm not even sure I should come back to Legrand after this trip. What's for me there? I don't have a job or even a place to sleep. I have no idea what I'm going to do. There was a long pause. Look, if circumstances suddenly change and our kids don't have a place to live or food to eat, of course I'll do anything I need to do to take care of them. But they're taken care of, right? Right, of course, he confirmed. That's not an issue. Well, so thanks for that, I continued. I guess I just have to figure out a lot of shit right now. Can we agree, though, that it's unlikely I'll be back in Legrand on the very day I said I would be? I mean, I'm not ruling it out, but does that sound fair to you? Can we be a little flexible here? I guess that sounds fair. I'll just have to do some juggling with the boys, he said. No shit, I barked. We're all doing some juggling. Look, I said it was okay. I just wish I knew what to expect. You and me both, William. I'll loop you in whenever I know more, okay? I I just need some time to process all this. We agreed to check in in a week or so, or sooner, if I knew more about what I was going to do. Then we hung up. Then I was all tears. I let the distress of this unexpected loss wash over me. How could William's parents do this? Everything was going so well, and they ruined it. Rage! Rage! Fuck this life, and fuck the world, and fuck those guys! But wait, I said inside, rather quietly. Wait a second. You don't have to go down that path. I breathed in. I breathed out. I asked myself who I wanted to be. Yes, a vengeful thought, or six, slipped in, but I could still choose to embrace or reject that vengeance. After all, if I didn't have the power over my own thoughts, who did? I take it back. That's not who I want to be, I said in my own head. Peace be upon those guys, even if they're doing a shitty thing and even if I'm still mad about it. Peace be upon them. I hardly recognized myself. Who are you and what did you do with Evelyn? I imagined people from my past life saying if they could see me now. One day at a time, one step at a time, one breath at a time. It was going to be okay, even if I didn't know how. As I continued to breathe... I saw my entire personal history with a new set of eyes. For the first time in my life, I recognized the privilege I'd lived within. Not only had I always been able to answer the question of having a reliable place to sleep with a resounding yes, I'd been so strikingly privileged I'd never had to contemplate the question in the first place. Evie Wallace and her unrecognized life of luxury. What if you could be grateful for this eviction? Came the calmest voice from my heart of hearts. Are you fucking kidding me? I snapped back. Do I sound like I'm kidding? This is a valuable thread in your life's tapestry. I took a few more breaths. I asked my guiding light to help me 
choose gratitude, not only for the temporary nature of these rotten moments, but for the rottenness itself. I was beginning to see that even in life's most agonizing moments, there was truly nothing to fear. If I could find a way to choose gratitude, even for this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news, well, then I was fully liberated from the prison of discontentment. I'd like to note here that I have seen a troubling historic trend where an oppressor persuades the oppressed that happiness is a personal choice, and if they, the victims, aren't choosing gratitude, that's their, the victims, personal failing. This is a fucked up, twisted untruth which takes the kernel of truth and covers it in shit. Women needn't choose gratitude for their abusive husbands. Slaves needn't choose gratitude for their captors. Or, more accurately, those who are surviving human rights violations can empower themselves by choosing unconditional gratitude for the miracle of their life, even as they fight against the perpetrators trying to control or diminish that life. This is an ugly-ass puce thread, I thought which makes the turquoise of your next joy all the more vibrant, said my deepest heart. Help show me the way, I prayed. Always, it replied.